All right, welcome to Expensive Lessons, episode two. This is the COVID-19 edition. Um, it's getting serious. <laughs> yep. um, it's getting very serious. Unfortunately, this has been a week where I have lost people who I know as a result of COVID. Um, Seriously? Yeah, people who, um, fought, well, not close relatives, but distant relatives uh, have been impacted by uh, COVID and unfortunately we've lost them. People are still on lockdown and I can tell by hearing my neighbors do 12 hour praise and worship sessions that <laughs> things are starting to get real. Um, yeah. And that's why we wanted to have a session today talking all about COVID, COVID-19 and what does it mean for businesses and how can we find a way through all of this uh this uncertainty yeah before we dig into that we had some questions from last week's session yes we did um there were quite a few but one which really 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 stuck to me was um did you have any idea of the type of business straight away choosing the right products and service. Um, so did you have any idea of the type of business straight away choosing the right product or service? Um, in a strange way, if I ever like wrote an autobiography around business, I'd love to say, yes, I did. That it was something which was just with me from birth. But the truth is no, um, I had no idea. There was just a desire for financial security, financial independence. And thus I began that search, that odd search which some people have probably done in the past, which is typing into Google, how can I make more money? Um, and at the time, it could have been boxer shorts or buttons, couldn't really care less. I was going to sell something legal um, to provide for myself and my family. So there wasn't a specific industry in mind. What I was looking for was something which was profitable, which is, I would kind of wish I thought about that phrasing beforehand, because I think that's really important. Um, for some people out there, they'll have a, a calling for an industry or calling for a product or an innovation, and that will be amazing and for them. There are other people out there who just have an entrepreneurial spirit. If that's you, you just need to find something which is profitable. Find something which is of need and market the hell out of it. Yeah, so that's my short, concise response to that question. Um, just to add to that, for anybody who is in that place at the moment thinking, what can I sell? What business can I develop? There are two really easy places to start, and that's with you. As an individual, think about the problems that you face on a daily basis. What is really annoying to you currently about the way you live your life? Where if somebody provided a solution, you would be very happy and you'd definitely pay. So those, think about those problems that you'd actually be willing to pay for a solution for. Um, that is around innovation. So innovating is when you find a, a novel problem and you develop a solution for that novel problem. The other way is competition and that's competing. Find something that's really successful, something that you see people doing um, around you that maybe they're not doing it as efficiently as you could potentially do it and do that. 
um, a lot of people get quite nervous when they think about a business and already see players in that market. They say, well, if there are already players in that market, if there are already companies offering that service, why would I start a business? And whenever I hear that, I always say to those people, well, what if the inventor or Puma trainers thought about that when they saw Nike and Adidas? In actual fact, uh, little known oh, fact, um, the, uh, the, the inventor of Adidas and the inventor of Puma are brothers. Um, so just because a marketplace has a number of competitors doesn't necessarily block out that market for you. Yeah. The question you need to ask yourself is what additional value can you provide in that marketplace? Can I do it for 10 times cheaper? Can I deploy a service for 10 times faster? Can I provide 10 times better quality of service? If you can actually 10 X, um, an offering in that space, even if that's a very clustered competitive environment, you can still build our business. So that's my suggestion, my recommendation in that. Always look to what's relevant to you as a problem that could be solved. Yeah. And also look at what's already in the marketplace. One thing that worries me when I meet entrepreneurs who want to start a new business is they go, I've got this amazing new idea. It's fantastic. Nobody's doing it in the world. That's very worrying for me. Because if nobody's doing that idea, no value. there's probably a good reason. Not always, but chances are if nobody is doing what you're thinking about doing, there's probably a really good reason for that. Mm. Or you just haven't done your research and you, have, you aren't currently aware that there are people doing it who maybe have tried and succeeded or even worse, maybe tried and failed. Yeah. So take that into consideration. Now that, that comment on competition is crucial because people can often be flustered and almost disheartened by the amount of competition out there. But competition is not a bad thing. Um, it just means that there is a market which is profitable and you can get that slice of market share. Your last comment around research almost links to the second question we've identified, which was how much research is enough research? That's a really good question. Um, so in your opinion, how, how much research is enough research? There's a couple of questions that you need to try and answer and research can answer all of those questions for you. First of all, is this a valid problem? Remember before I talked about identify a problem that people need solved. Is this a valid problem? So if you identify a problem, it doesn't necessarily ring true for everyone. So what you first want to do is understand how many people share the problem that I have. If this is a problem around, let, let's, let's use a, a well-known example. Um, if, if you want to refer to Airbnb. So we had people doing a lot of traveling when times were good, um, BC before COVID, uh, where you could travel um, any, anywhere in the world. What was the problem that people had? This is a new country. I don't speak the language. I don't know where all the cool places are. I don't necessarily want to be in a hotel. I don't want to pay hotel prices. I don't like the fact that I can't cook my own meals. These are all parts of the problem statement that Airbnb was trying to address. So the first thing you need to do is actually understand, is this a significant problem? And you can easily do research. 
one way of doing that is actually speaking to the community around you, sharing this problem statement and actually asking people, do you share this? Is this something that's actually an issue? And get, getting as much feedback as possible. So that's number one. It, is this a valid problem statement? The next question is, are customers willing to pay to solve this problem? So how can you do that? Looking into the market, you could already identify competitors. So Airbnb, as an example, isn't a completely new business model. It's a pivot on an existing business model, the hotel community. The slight pivot is the fact that instead of large... Uh, designated buildings for hotels. Designated buildings, instead of large corporations owning uh, the, these, these hotel chains, this is a peer-to-peer -peer offering where a homeowner offers up their, their location. So it, within that context, you can ask yourself the question, are people willing to pay for that? Before Airbnb came out, there was booking.com, there was spareroom.com. There were loads of different examples of how this business model worked. Not on the scale of Airbnb, but there was enough evidence to demonstrate people are willing to pay to solve this problem. Once again, research also helps you to identify um, uh, direct research, primary research, also helps you identify whether people would pay. Just ask the question, maybe um, run a survey or speak to people um, through focus groups and just ask them the question, are you willing to pay to solve this problem? You don't want to be as obvious as that. People who construct uh, focus group questions are very subtle in the way they construct their questions to make sure there's no bias. But that's another effective way of actually identifying whether people are willing to solve the problem. The last key question that I'll ask is, what is 0.01% of the market value? The reason why I say 0.01% is that's a reasonable amount of market share that you could get. Now, if 0.01% of the market value is big enough that you can quit your day job, then you know that you're dealing with a attractive business prospect. So let's, for instance, look at the wig and hair market. The wig and hair market is worth $10 billion. So I don't, I'm sorry, this is it's Sunday night. Say again, you got time? So 10 billion divided by, how many zeros are we doing now? Okay, I'm at a million. 0.01%, that's dividing it by a thousand. So my calculator can't do 10 billion. Mine, neither can mine. <laughs> um, it's a lot of money. It's 100 million. Apparently, I think so. A hundred million. I can live off a hundred million. Can you? Just about, bro. Just, yes. just. And if if you're capable, if you're a good market analyst, you can actually do a bottom-up analysis to determine the answer to that question yourself. If you're not, there are a lot of very useful resources. Um, maybe I'll put some links in the description if people want any that will help you identify the market size of some of the very well-known markets that you're referring to, or you could actually do an inference um, exercise to help you infer the size of a new market. But if you can determine that 0.01% of a market is still significantly large, then you're onto a winner. If you actually determine that 0.01% of a market is quite small, you know, we're talking less than uh, £50,000, then potentially not worth you investing time and effort to get that much 
um, involved in a business. So quite long-winded, but hopefully those three questions are helpful. What is your problem statement? How can you research that problem statement? Um, is that problem statement something that people are willing to pay to solve? And then finally, what is a very small percentage of the total value of that market? Answer those three questions and then away you go. As you go uh, through the process, you'll identify more questions, but don't get paralyzed by trying to answer too many questions. Those three questions are enough for you to start a business. Thank you, bro. That's a very comprehensive overview. I had a question. We've spoken to investors in the past and on occasions, we've heard them critique other people's proposals because there wasn't proof of concept. Um, can you just elaborate on what that phrase means briefly, proof of concept for those people who are actually starting out? So proof of concept is, for want of a better phrase, a prototype for your business model. Yeah. So if you are trying to demonstrate that your business model is profitable and functional, by delivering a proof of concept, you're producing a low resolution or simplified version of the macro business. Mm. So let's say your business um, uh, model was an app and the app's purpose was to connect um, successful business men and women with aspiring young uh, entrepreneurs for mentoring. So your app would be like a, a Tinder for um, uh, professionals. You know, you'd, you'd match professional, successful people with people who oh, are... Oh, wait, wait, Abby. Do we need, like a good idea. Do we need to go offline? Do we need to go? <laughs> we need to like, check if it's proof of concept. This sounds like a very good idea. Um, okay, we're going to have to delete this. <laughs> um, but let, let's say that that was your business model. Now, building an app from scratch costs a lot of money. But how can you actually develop a proof of concept which demonstrates the functionality for low cost or for free? Well, one way that you could develop a proof of concept for that would be Instagram. So let's say you created an Instagram page with the title um, uh, Professional Mentor Match. Rubbish name, I'll think of a better one later. But that's the current title of your Instagram page. And in your bio, you said, um, follow me if you would like to be matched with a potential mentor or follow me if you would like to mentor uh, aspiring entrepreneur. And you get loads of followers. And then maybe to your followers, you actually uh, send a message saying, DM me your details and I will match you with a uh, suitable match. And you do that 10 times, 50 times, 100 times. Now your uh, um, Instagram profile actually has followers, it has engagement all around the prospect of matching successful professional business leaders with entrepreneurs. Mm. Maybe you move that one step further and say, okay, well, here's my PayPal details. If you'd like to match, if you'd like me to match you to somebody else, send me 299, pounds 99 and you will get um, a match identified for you for, for, for every payment of 2.99. If you can do that successfully, 
then you've just developed a proof of concept. And that hasn't cost you anything. Instagram is free, a PayPal account is free. But what you've demonstrated is an app built to match professionals with entrepreneurs can generate funds. Um, so that was me thinking completely off the fly. Uh, but the, and we will be deleting that. We have, to delete it. we have to delete it. Let's copyright that. Um, but but what, what I'm saying there is there are multiple ways that you can build a proof of concept without spending a penny. Let's say you actually were going to do a delivery service, a food delivery service. We now have long queues outside Tesco and you want to demonstrate that people will actually pay individuals to go and um, do their shopping for them. Mm -hmm. Now, this is kind of a, maybe a bit of a cliched example because we've already got examples of this with Deliveroo and Uber Eats, etc. But if you wanted to develop a proof of concept for those types of food delivery services, all you'd need to do is post your phone number on a free platform yeah. on Facebook, on Instagram and say, call me if you'd like me to do your shopping for you. Um, and if you can prove that 100 people have called you and paid you 3 99 or £5 to do your shopping for them, you just developed another proof of concept. People are willing to pay a third party to do their food shopping for them. So another example, maybe not as interesting because we've already got examples of that in the sphere, but how would those companies have developed a proof of concept in the first place? They wouldn't have gone straight to building an app unless they had millions and millions of pounds in the bank. They would have had to develop some way of proving at low cost that this makes sense, that this is worth the investment. And that is something which all of us can do in all seasons. And I think during today's conversation, we're definitely speaking about potential startups and stressing the, the importance of them having a proof of concept and then trialing it themselves. And I think many people are almost holding back out of hesitance because they, they visualize the grand land, the, the, the major corporation, without realizing that the small beginnings is that proof of concept. Get that proof of concept right. And all you need to do then is put the infrastructure around it to expand it. And one, one point to add to that, and it's another thing that really frustrates me, don't, don't create business cards, don't create a website, don't call yourself a CEO before you've developed a very low resolution proof of concept. I think some people do it backwards where they create all the infrastructure without actually proving that anybody's willing to spend a penny or they spend thousands of pounds on stock before making one sale. Make sure that you've actually got something working before you actually start investing in the infrastructure. Yeah. My suggestion would be try to make a hundred pounds worth of revenue before you actually start building a website. Um, At the very least. Yeah. Or setting up some sort of um, uh, sales infrastructure. Because what happens when you start paying for Shopify and you start paying for some of these services is you've got money going out yeah. and no money coming in. So keep that in mind. Uh, always try to prove that people are willing to pay for this before you start investing big bucks on infrastructure. Yeah. All right. Um, so yeah, re really interesting. People, please keep uh, sharing your questions. Any anything that you ever wanted to ask somebody in our position, feel free to go ahead. 
I won't profess to know the answer. Afalabi knows the answer to most of these things. Uh, but I just talk. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit fills in gaps. Take it. Take it. <laughs> Name it. Um, but the aim of today's discussion is all around COVID-19. And anybody who's a business owner or anybody who's thinking about starting their own business would be asking themselves the question, how am I going to navigate this very unprecedented time in our lives? And we've got a bunch of questions that we want to go through today. The first question is, is this a good time to start a business? If you're just on the verge to actually delving into this world of pain and hardship and intrigue, is this the right time to do it? 2020, new year, new me, all of that. Is this the right time to start a new business? The next question is, if you started a new business, you've already taken the leap, you're in deep. How do you survive? How do you sustain your, your business model during these very trying times? The next question is hopefully the most pertinent to people that we want to speak to today is how do you thrive uh, during this time? How do you make the most of this? How do you actually 10x your business during a time when some people are closing up shop? Some people, unfortunately, are closing the door on their dreams. Uh, so, some people are having to, 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 to get rid of staff. How do you thrive? How do you actually transform your business so that you're actually making the most of this time? And the final question, it really is, what does life look like after this period, after COVID? things will not go back to normal. So with that in mind, how do we anticipate the changes to our business environment? And once again, how do we make a success out of that? So that's a lot of introduction from myself. Let's get into it. So I love you. First question, starting a business. You're on the verge of starting to create that infrastructure maybe you've already got some positive responses to your from your community about your business model. Maybe you're even still shaping your idea at the moment and still trying to work out your value proposition. It's now yeah. a good time to take the leap and actually say, I'm going to share my business idea with the world. And I'm going to ask people to give me their money. Yeah. You know, I say this on the asterisks, but categorically, yes. This is fertile ground. I say it's fertile ground because, as you've quoted Buffett before, when everyone's getting greedy, hesitant, and people are being hesitant, go for it. This is a time where a lot of things which I'm going to say sound very negative. One, people are cutting back on their daily, their weekly, their monthly spend because of uncertainty. Two, some people are potentially losing their occupation, their jobs. Three, some people are potentially losing their homes. Four, banks don't want to lend. Um, irrespective of what you hear on the news, they're not truly trying to lend them unless they know that you can definitely pay it back or the government can pay it back for you. Why I say definitely in this time period is that this is the environment where new things will be born and that this is the time period where those which are established within your respective industry are likely to shift. We're already hearing about high street chains who are going into administration. Is this because of COVID-19 or is this because they're already um, almost running thin? They're already walking on a tightrope. It's a mixture of the two. But what COVID-19 has done is that all those who are almost punching above their weight and just staying on the high street, just about surviving, they're having to exit. Now, the industry size 
has not reduced in size. All that's happened is that there are fewer players on the field. Now, if you can enter and you can do the some of the things which you mentioned earlier, you can ensure that you can 10x a problem. You can make it cheaper, faster, more efficient, better customer service. You're actually going to respond to people and not say to people, oh, please just email us or we'll call you back in a couple of weeks. I'm someone who's waiting for one of those calls. You're suddenly going to develop a slice of the pie in market share. So if you are dogged, if you can really be diligent in this time period and be strategic about your approach in terms of marketing, in terms of reaching out to your designated segment market space, you could find that people might not necessarily be less likely to purchase from you because they're saving in funds, but might actually be more likely because their reputable suppliers aren't accessible anymore. So my suggestion is definitely go in. Don't abort that idea, but be lean, be extremely lean. Go in with the bare basics, what you essentially need to keep it up and running. Don't have any fat, fat being unnecessary stuff. Um, go back to your business model, all those things which you hypothesized that you needed in quarter four, year two, cut that all out. It's you and your product. See yourself as a sole trader. Um, and get out there because I firmly believe that, as you mentioned previously, we're going to be reading about people in 20, 30, 40 years time who were born from this, who, whose empires were born from this. If you've read about the likes of Dale Carnegie, the Henry Fords, they came out of adversity, um, even Buffett. They were investing in other people who weren't because people were scared and they were keeping their pound and their dollar, their euro in their pocket. So. I've got nothing else to add. Start a business. Start yeah. a business. It's as simple as that. If you see a problem that people need solving, offer them that value proposition. It's the only way you're going to know whether it's fruitful or not. And exactly what Afalabi said, you need to be hungry for it. You need to be willing to put in the work and you need to strip any fat. If you had employees who are doing things that you could be doing, then you really need to ask yourself the question, how can I be as efficient as possible at this time? Completely agree. Next question was about sustainability and survival. You're a business that's well established. You've been running for a couple of years now and now COVID-19 uh, appears and you're now in a situation where you've never had to fight like this before. How do you survive? How do you sustain your current business model? Sorry, I was just laughing there because COVID sounds like a grand wrap-up. Just the name COVID, it, it, it sounds like a grand How do you sustain this time Except period? The fact that he's real, he's actually killing people. <laughs> actually killing people. Yeah, um, I was not lying about that. It's, for me, there are two pillars. So I'm going to answer this from my personal standpoint. Um, the, the first pillar is what you believe. And the second pillar is about strategy. My beliefs mean that I, I can't just abort from it because I, I don't believe that I'm the only one sustaining it. The second pillar is around strategy. I have to review the strategy that is currently being implemented right now. And we spoke about this previously in terms of that 
do you have excess fat? If you cannot categorically say no, it means you do, yes. We've gone through the business beforehand and cut out fat. And we thought, oh my goodness, that's thousands. <laughs> Each month. And part of it hurts my soul to today. But you won't know until you actually do that critical reflection from the, from the brand. What are you paying for, which isn't actually bringing a great return? Um, have you ballooned to the point that you're actually spending excess sums on marketing, but you do not know your ROI? You do not know your CPA, your CPA, all of these figures, you, you don't actually know what it's bringing back. Um, are you able to compare that in the last quarter compared to the third quarter in the previous year? Is, has there been a fluctuation or a change? First pillar, be lean. Second pillar, what are your competitors doing that you should bazump? I.e., it might be a time period where everyone is um, almost battening down the hatches, just trying to keep everything steady, not doing anything really extreme, not trying to rock the boat. And that's the time to be really brash. You posed a really good question in our leadership group previously, which was around, well, what can we do which our competitors are not doing? And there was silence, because it was a good question. Good questions lead to silence. And I think it was maybe the following day, which I said, actually, you know what, let's give, let's give away more than anyone else. In this season, let us be known for the ones who are actually giving more. In a season where people are holding back and not doing as much, not being as vocal, not uh, marketing as much, let's be out there actually saying, we're going to give you this. Why? So that you know the mindset that we have as a brand, as a company, you know our beliefs, but also you remember who gave you when there was austerity, when there was hard times. Because we've got to remember that this is more than an exchange of currency. People buy into brands. I can imagine Brother Puma thinking, I want to be like my big bro and start my own brand. How can I make my brand different? I remember learning about the, the, the difference between Adidas and Nike, I can't remember, but it's, it's about the, the feeling about what they're saying to their, their, their customers. And if you're not a real Nike or an Adidas head, you won't know. So reviewing your competitors, what they're giving, reviewing what you're giving, and then just, just deciding to, to hold firm in the season and, and push for prosperity and not just stagnating. I think that's something which requires quite a bit of courage. I think many people just want to plateau, but people are going to grow in this season. Why not you? I think to add to that, I've got a slightly more bleak view uh, to, to, to kick things off. Um, and you need to do some really significant soul searching. Mm. What I mean by that is maybe you were holding on for dear life over the last 12 months and now you've been hit by a, a, an incredibly unprecedented event which is really asking you or forcing you to ask yourself the question, can I survive for another 12 months? And that's where some soul searching is needed. Right. You should look at your business model you should ask yourself the question, have I been overcome by events? Is your business model early 2000s? 
Is it 90s? Do you have a retail store with no online presence and no way of getting a, a foothold in the digital landscape? Hmm. Um, do you have a, a, a service-based business which isn't well adapted to this new landscape and you hmm. don't have the, sc- the skills or tools alone to create that ecosystem for it to thrive? And you, you have no will or interest in getting on social media. You're not interested in starting a Facebook or Instagram account. You're not interested in researching TikTok. Do some soul searching. And if you're really not interested in adapting your business to the current digital environment, it's now time to say goodbye. It's now time to, to, to call it quits and say, I can get out. And the reason I say that is because Like Game of Thrones, Afalabi's heard me say on a regular basis, there is a recession coming. There's a recession coming. And it strikes fear into people's hearts. People who saw it coming know that the prosperity that we've experienced will come to an end. And like a flood, it's going to wash away a lot of people who've just been struggling. And I failed. I failed a lot. So there's no harm in saying, this isn't going to work in this environment. I'm going to start something new. The more you hold on and the more you invest in an idea which isn't working, the more you're going to sink into a hole and the more capital you're going to lose for that new idea that you have. The first point is knowing to walk away. So that's the negative bit. Now we've got some positives. Get what you're owed by the government. Um... (laughs) Government is handing out checks. Make sure that you find out what you're entitled to. You could be entitled to between 10 and 25K as an immediate payment, depending on the industry that you're working in. Make sure you understand what your business is entitled to from the government, because that could be the lifeline that you need to keep you afloat during these difficult times. Make sure you understand where your outgoings are and what could be deferred? Is the rent you're paying something that could be pushed back potentially to a time when you're actually getting more revenue? Do you have any outgoing services which right now aren't actually that productive? One thing at LVH that we've reduced is our marketing spend. So our digital marketing footprint has decreased because we know the likelihood of people purchasing our products at the same volume as pre-COVID not going to happen. So why are we spending our marketing dollars on something which isn't going to be as fruitful? We are still marketing, but some of our digital marketing budget we've reduced to retarget into other areas. The other thing you need to do is communicate to all of your stakeholders. This isn't something that starts and stops with you as a business. As As a business, you know that you've got stakeholders that help supply your business. You've got suppliers, you've got the postman, you've got the post office. If you're a, um, a, a company that relies on sending things through um, Royal Mail, um, you've got potential third parties who help sell your product. You've got um, customers and clients. All of these different stakeholders need to understand where you currently are as a business because they will make assumptions. 
if you haven't done so already and you're a business, tell all of your customers, however you can get hold of them, we are still open. If you are indeed still open, because there may be an assumption from your customers that because of this environment, you guys have boarded up. You you stopped stopped, uh, offering services as many companies have. So make it very clear to your customers what your plan for the future is. Because any, any sign of poor or no leadership is going to encourage those customers to go elsewhere. Same with your suppliers. Potentially, you're now purchasing less from your suppliers and they're going to start getting worried. But if you can have a conversation with them and communicate with them that this is a temporary period, they're not going to be surprised and you know, things are going to go back to normal once you get to a more stable situation. Then at least you've got some confidence from your supply chain that you'll still be able to serve your customer base. Yeah. So make sure you have that communication. Absolutely key. Loans. Now this is something that I, I want to avoid at all costs. But if you are confident that your business model is a solid one, it's valid, and customers are going to stand by you for the foreseeable future, it may be worth considering a loan. It may be worth considering getting a small cash injection to help you over this difficult period. Um, is absolutely right. No matter what the newspapers are saying, getting a loan at this period is still quite difficult. But if, if you believe that your business model will weather the storm and will be shining on the other side of this period, then maybe a loan is the right approach. But one suggestion around that is you don't necessarily need to go through conventional means to get that loan. You could crowd um, source funds. You could put up friends, family, and fools. Friends, family, and fools. Yeah, I've never heard that. I love it. I love it. That's who. That's who to get the loan from. <laughs> friends, family, and fools. Absolutely. So maybe before you even go to a bank, reach out to your stakeholders. Reach out to your suppliers. Reach out to customers even. Set up a GoFundMe and say, we want to continue doing business, but we just need your support. Is it in a supplier's best interest to keep you around? Absolutely. So would they potentially be willing to provide you with a loan or maybe provide you with stock? Credit. If your supplier, if you're a product provider and your supplier isn't currently giving you credit, it's either because you don't purchase enough from them or you haven't asked them. Really, at this stage, if you've grown a little bit, you should be able to purchase on credit because they know you're good for it. And that might actually help your cash flow. So that's something to definitely look into. But as you'll say. The last point I want to make in this space to survive in this time is new business models. New business models. Now, one thing that has become apparent to everybody is video conferencing, video communication, e-communication is the future. So my suggestion to some people, and I've heard some comments recently from very service-oriented businesses, such as hairstylists, um, restaurants, nail technicians, etc., how do I survive at this period? You need to, you need to pivot. You need yeah. to pivot and you need to develop new business models. Now, the question is, is even during this period, 
are people still want to look going to want to look good? Absolutely, because if I'm getting myself in front of this video conference um, to, to have, have a chat, I still need my hair done. Absolutely. Don't get it. I still want my hair done. I still want my nails done because as well as it looking good to the outside world, I like the feeling of getting my nails done. Um, I still want to enjoy good food. So if, for instance, you're a restaurant that doesn't currently deliver or doesn't currently offer a delivery service, that changes today. We, you now deliver. It doesn't matter. All of these posh restaurants on Mayfair and Park Lane who are saying, we don't deliver. We don't use Uber Eats. Yeah, we don't. We're, we're too up market for Uber Eats. What's going to happen to them over this period? Yeah. So if, make sure you're using technology to help broaden out your, your current offering, but also pivot. So if you are a nail technician, now isn't the time to be offering um, nail services. But what you can do from the comfort... Tutorials. Tutorials. And the fear around tutorials is, oh, if I teach people how to do it, then they're not going to come and come back um, and, and pay me to do it. If you believe that, then you're not very good. Yep. If you believe that you can teach everything that you've learned in a one hour to two hour tutorial, then you're not very good. Mm -hmm. So that would be my suggestion. Make sure you pivot. If somebody is willing to pay you to learn how to do their own nails because they can buy all the equipment they need from Amazon, oh, better yet, yeah. why, why are you not the plug? What? If, for example, we're talking about nail technicians and people want to get their nails done still and they want to get the acrylic nails, listen, this is my own ignorance, I apologise for the next however long. They want to get the acrylic nails, they want to get the shellac machines, they want to get yeah. the nail polish, the nail remover, etc. They're probably going to be going on Amazon to get all of that. And then when they watch your tutorial, they'll obviously follow along. Why are you not the plug for all of that equipment? Go and find a supplier who can provide you with different colors of nail polish, different colors of nail remover, the shellac machine or the UV machine or whatever it's called, and you sell that direct to your customer group. That pivot is essential because for me, it's planting seeds. Which sub-industry can you plant seeds into? So there's something that we're working on right now and we can't really elaborate on it properly, but we know that there is a, not a subgroup, can't call them a subgroup, but there's a significant group within our industry who will be hurting at this time. Identifying who might be hurting at this time and how you could potentially help them, not just now, but in the future, could be incredible because this will pass and things will never be normal again. So in the new normal, what position will you be in? Because in that pyramid of established brands and you somewhere, people will shift places. The key is to stay in the pyramid and not fall off. So really think deep about who's hurting and how you can help them. Um, when we identified that there was a group that will really be hurting, we were able to actually offer them something which they began to buy into and will continue to buy into a lot. And we know that when this does pass, we will suddenly have an, a new stream of income. Watch this space. I think that leads us nicely onto the next point, which is thriving. And 
given that we're currently having this conversation via video conference um, on a platform that I think was little known before the COVID outbreak, yep. demonstrates that there are companies that will thrive. So what are your thoughts on that? So how does a company go from surviving, maintaining, to actually this being the best time of their business career? Hmm. I think we've got to first identify why people thrive. I think one of the reasons why people thrive is that they out-muscle their competitors. Another reason that they thrive is that they, they just hold, they hold their position longer. Um, another reason why they thrive is because they outmaneuver or outsmart their competitors. So outmuscle, um, outsmart, um, outlive. Which of those could you do? Um, outmuscle. There are companies above you, companies below you. Those companies below you who are hurting more than you are, how could you take some of their market share? Do you know who their clients are? You're savage. You are so. Listen, listen. Do you know who their clients are? Do you know who their ambassadors are? Do you know who their affiliates are? In their next off. What are you able to offer? Twisting the night. <laughs> that they might not be able to offer. If we are both milkmen and I can no longer deliver milk, but you are a milkman, if you are not willing to find out my milk route, then you're the fool. If you're not willing to find out my milk route or actually ask me, what was my milk route? Um, will you tell me out of genuine kindness or will you have to pay me to get it? Gather that knowledge. What is it that people were doing to have their small piece of the pie, which you could potentially take. Could you take them along with you? Is this a time where companies are going to buy out other companies, that you're gonna buy out information? I imagine that will be the case, grand and small. That's out muscling. Outsmarting, stop and think. This is a time for us all to really stop and just to think about how we're doing what we're doing. We've spoken previously about where we might be hemorrhaging funds, but we need to also think about the, the opportunities which are always in front of us, but we never saw. Um, I, I really love the story of brands such as Blockbusters and Toys R Us, because we can look back with hindsight and think, how did you fail? You were the market leaders. Yahoo being another one. A, a young buck came up and you just didn't acknowledge their presence. You didn't acknowledge that they have pivoted and they're offering something new, which might be the future. And you continue to do what you were doing. If you're in that position right now where you're currently a brand and you know of brands who are doing what you are doing, but differently, you need to investigate whether that's bringing about fruit or returns in this season and to potentially pivot onto that. Now that's just mimicking what's already established. That's, Blockbusters becoming Netflix. That's Toys R Us going online and becoming Amazon. Mimicking's easy. But stopping to think hard about what hasn't been done, which you could do, is a little bit more challenging. But it's something where you need to get your whole team on it. We were having our weekly meetings with our, our team. Like you need to get people thinking about, okay, 
what can we do? What can we offer? Because it's about what you can offer. At this time when people are holding things back, no, you need to be thinking about what you're giving out. How can you give something new? What new thing can you do? I'm, I'm looking forward to our new thing that's coming out every few days because that's something which I know that our competitors will not be doing because they're going to be hoarding. So we've spoken about, about muscling, we've spoken about um, outsmarting. I think the last one was just um, almost outliving longevity. Hold. Um, it sounds strange as an answer to thriving, but when you're in the arena and everyone is getting out of the arena or falling on their sword and dying, you holding your position will mean that once the, the floodlights are off, there are fewer players in the field and there's just so much more space for you to do what you wish to do, for you to execute the plans which you may have prepared prior. So this is a time to really stop and think, to critically reflect on how you're doing what you're doing. And I think that is the key to really thriving. That's what will bring about innovation, something new. One point that you mentioned that I want to elaborate on, or at least reinforce, is the idea of community at a time like this. Now, your first point I agree with, which is, if you are surrounded by failing businesses, you need to be able to hoover up their customer base. You need to, re you need, and, and do that as a priority. At this time, start looking at the companies that are failing around you and develop a value proposition for that client base. Do it now. Um, that is a very cutthroat approach, but business requires you to be very cutthroat. Um, Can I just pause you there? Because what you've said is, even though we've said this, it's making me think about what we would have done in the infancy, but we're not doing now. I think sometimes in your infancy, you're a little bit more willing to get your hands dirty. Um, but when you grow a little bit, you, you buy the nicest suit. And when we're, really we're doing UFC, you know, we kicks, biting, whatever it took. Now we're sophisticated. We're fencing. Um, what you said has made me think, actually, we need to get members of our team because we, we know of companies who failed and we know that they actually did build up a, a decent following. In my early days, and this is a tip to someone who's using social media, I directly message potential clients with offers. DM directly. I gave them the offer. I did not know them. I scripted it and edited it and sent it to them. Um, what was the success rate? probably less than 3%, but it brought about sales and it, it was a stepping stone to this point. Why are we not doing that now? Why are we not getting someone on the team to actually identify this X company, this Y company, we know it's failed, but we know that they gathered X, Y amounts of followers. And of that, there's a certain percentage who were paying followers. They still need that product. They've already moved on to someone else. They may have moved on to us already, but can we make ourselves available to them? Can we plant that seed in their minds to say, oh, hi, we're here, here's this offer for them to ignore, for us to know actually they will see us again, for us to know actually we use retargeting so when they see us again, we're gonna have another offer for them. So yeah, thank you for that. Add that to the Monday agenda. No problem, but it's interesting because that ties in with my next point, which is yes, we can be quite 
um, sharp with our elbows when it comes to gaining market share. But we can be sharp with one hand, but also very uh, welcoming with the other. So the second suggestion is almost the polar opposite to that first one, which is partnerships. Who can you work with now that maybe is part of your value chain, is part of the full offering that you're providing that can help you develop a better core offering, maybe lower price, maybe higher quality of service, whatever it might be. Who, are you, who can you work with right now in mm-hmm. order to improve your, um, your, your offering? It, absolutely. Can you share resources? Can you lower your burden? Because you actually can start to reduce the amount that you're spending on essentials. If you've got an infrastructure which is perfectly set up for posting um, packages, you, your infrastructure, you may sell one product and your one product is uh, posted through your infrastructure. What about for a fee offering the infrastructure to other people and saying, I will, I'm doing this job anyway, I will cut the price mm-hmm. of my... I'll cut the price of your current operating model and you, will, you, you can use me as a conduit to send your packages, for instance. Think about who you can work with, who you can partner with, who benefits from what you've developed or the other way around, who you can partner with where you can maybe offer them something so that you can use their products and services or you can use their infrastructure in order for you to reduce costs. And once again, once you've done that, you will not go back. You've just developed a joint venture which will reduce your costs and make you more competitive. The other thing to think about is who else is targeting the same customer group as you? So if you know who your target customer is, think about who else is targeting the same customer group as you. Get them all up in, get them in a room together and say, okay, well, listen, I sell hair extensions, you sell eyelashes. You're never gonna sell hair extensions, I'm never gonna sell eyelashes. However, we're both targeting the same target audience. How about we work together and start working on a strategy for how we make sure that we access access this market and thrive in this market to the best of our ability. Once again, this syndicate, this group that you collated, will be a lot more effective as a team because you can share intelligence, you can share resources, you can share brains uh, than somebody working on their own. So those two suggestions are the things that I'll add. Mm. Be cutthroat where you need to be cutthroat, but also identify positive partnerships to in, in order to improve efficiency, productivity, and reduce cost. Definitely. I'm looking forward to hear of the, the company mergers which are going to occur in the next... 12 to 18 months, it'll be very interesting because exactly what Abby's saying right now is what will probably be discussed on many boardrooms as to who can we actually absorb, who can we partner with, and it's mutually beneficial. Absolutely. Losing your signal a little bit, Afalabi, I'm not sure if there's anything you can do with that. Um, I'm just going to move my laptop a little bit closer. Yeah, just keeps cutting in and out a bit. Okay. We'll survive. Um, last point, last question. What, 
What does life after COVID look like? Wow. Now that, that is the million dollar question. I think the, the simple answer is that life will never be the same again, not as we knew it. Um, what that expands to be is infinite in terms of its possibilities. It is, is an environment where I hope, I don't want to speak negatively, I hope people do not become more <clears throat> frightened. I hope it's an environment where people do not close up in terms of collaboration, because these are things which human nature could potentially happen. I hope it's not an environment where um, prejudice resides or increases. These are things which could potentially happen. In terms of positives, I do see it as a shaking. And it's a shaking for all those who are potentially underdogs currently and all those who <clears throat> are innovators genuinely. If you are hardworking, if you are innovative, this is your time. This is your gift, for want of a better phrase, because there will be many changes of positions. There's almost like a, a change of guard. Uh, there'll be established brands who will be looking to diversify how they do what they do. Brands which haven't really jumped on um, media editing, video editing, getting down dirty with their actual clients on YouTube, et cetera, et cetera, will be looking for people who do that. So if you are a YouTuber and you do your stuff well, believe brands will now be coming to you because they know that they need to get into people's homes more than ever before. It's a time period where people have spent so much time in front of screens, <laughs> not spending so much time in front of screens prior, but we're spending so much more time in front of screens that that is going to be a, a powerful vehicle, that the common person is going to have a platform. The gym instructors are now going to be online like never before. You, you might not see a personal uh, fitness instructor face-to-face it might just be strictly online. I think the way we consume our goods, the way we share our goods might never be the same. It's completely unprecedented. You touched upon a really interesting point about things becoming more digital, things being more remote. So people having access, for instance, to their personal trainers at home. Yes, that'll, that'll definitely happen. Anyone who is a personal trainer, right now must be seriously considering what their online footprint looks like. Definitely. What do you think is going to encourage people to leave their home? Other people. What people miss more than anything else isn't the mundane normality of going to work, uni, college, etc., etc. It's physical contact with people and thus if you can create a space where people can have physical contact you'll win um and that's it's, it's partly why so many of the the pubs restaurants and bars etc etc are hurting so much now because people can't go there but if they can hold if they can hold their position people are going to be flooding to restaurants. People are going to be flooding to these places where they can just see other people. Um, it's a liberty which we almost neglected. So that's definitely one thing which will 
encourage people to get out just human interaction physical human interaction what else exercise to a certain extent but you can do a great deal at home and um, there are some services which people no longer really had to do outside of their home so for example styling um, you could request um, a masseuse you could request a pedicure manicure to have your hair styled in your own home some people might miss that salon experience however if that salon experience no longer exists it might actually mean that all of that's done at home so those are the, the few that which come to mind immediately in terms of what people might <clears throat> miss what people might leave their homes for i've been thinking about this quite a bit and i think the high street as we know it is dead I think Amazon killed the high street uh, and it's been hanging on for dear life for the last decade or so. And I think the high street as we know it is, is gone. We're going to be surrounded by massage parlors and betting shops uh, it, and, and corner shops. Costa. And Costa. And Costa. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what does that mean for a, a place like Westfields? huge shopping center. Does that die too? No, I don't think it does. I think, no. I think Westfields becomes even more successful because mm. you don't go to Westfields just to buy. There are very few shops in Westfields that don't have an online presence that you can deliver to your home. The reason why Westfields is successful is because it's a destination, it's a go-to destination. Yeah. It's, it's a place where people are quite happy to take pictures and post mm. on social media. It's a, place where, it's a place where people are quite happy, as you said, to meet up with friends. So I do think that the, the high street will die. But I think yeah. destinations uh, will be key. So places where you go for a motive will, will, will actually grow in, 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 in significance. And you mentioned a few times during your, your, your dis our discussion around experience now if you have a retail outlet that does not provide an experience your retail outlet will die yes yes because my question to you is why with the banks closing their branches and saying you can do all of this online now yeah. what do you need a retail space for when people, even when it comes to services like manicures, pedicures, hairstyling, massages, people will come to your front door with all of the equipment and do it for you. So why do you have a physical space? I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm saying the reason why you need a physical space is because your aim is to create an experience. And that experience needs to be something that people are willing to share with each other either in real time, face-to-face -face with their friends because they've gone there to have a good time as a collective or on social media. I've gone to this amazing location and it's something that I actually want to remember and look back in my phone and see those pictures again and say, I remember where I went there. If you're not yeah. offering an experience, whether it's through pageantry, customer service, high quality, um, beautiful design or decor, then 
your location will very rapidly become redundant. Very expensive. Very expensive. There's a, a mathematical formula to almost like a ratio for the experience at the expense of the expenditure. It's, it's almost inevitable that you'll be making a loss in that kind of space. However, it needs to be a financial loss, which is outweighed by the brand, by the, the, the accumulation of brand credit. Um, if you can get to the point where that experience actually pays for itself or is profitable, amazing. But many people need to realize that most of those stops on Regent Street <clears throat> are not making a profit because the rents are just far too high. But yeah. they need to be there for image. <clears throat> so you need to make sure that you can, <clears throat> you can keep that balance in play. I met up with some friends not too long ago and we went to the Nespresso store on Regent Street, I think it was Nespresso, one of those really expensive, pretentious coffee stores that has about 600 different coffee flavors. Um, and they were just giving out free coffee. I had two free cups of coffee while I was there. I didn't spend a penny. And I can't imagine for the life of me that that place made any money. It works, apologies, it made any profit. Um, if I think of Regent Street, if I think of all of the shops on Regent Street, Burberry, Uniqlo, etc., the only shop on Regent Street that I think is probably making a profit is McDonald's. Um, but why be there? In marketing, they refer to it as a loss leader because it pays to be seen to be there. What does it say? Having your store on one of the most visited streets in London is advertising, yep. if not anything else. So there's still going to be place for that. Yeah. Um, if you're a well-established brand, you can afford that. You, you can write that off as a marketing cost. We're not making any money, but it looks good to be here. Great. Mm. If you're a small business, you really need to ask yourself, what utility are you gaining from having a physical location where the market and most markets are turning digital? Mm. If you're a restaurant, for instance, obviously you're providing a service where people go out and have an experience. So you've got position there where people will go out and share the picture of the food on their plate, where they'll go out and meet a friend for dinner. So you're, you're safe in that sense. But what we've established in this call is if your restaurant isn't delivering, you're missing a trick. Definitely. If you haven't set up the infrastructure so that at any moment you could switch to offering takeaway meals or deli a delivery service, then now's the time to do it. Yeah. It's interesting times. Very interesting. Final thoughts. Final thoughts. Um, last week you asked me if I could sum up um, my advice into like one key nugget, what it would be. Um, what would it be now? It, I think it might be those the, the, the imagery which I shared previously about um, stepping into the arena and ensuring that as a business owner that you're already in the arena, to survive and thrive, you're either going to have to <clears throat> um, out-muscle, um, out-maneuver, or live longer than your competitors. And a business is competitive, 
um, businesses do dissolve. I don't want to say die to make it really negative, but they do dissolve, they do disappear, um, and they do grow. And you have to pursue growth because if you're not pursuing growth, then it's quite likely that you're moving closer to dissolving. So in this time period, really think about how you can outmuscle, outmaneuver, and live longer than your competitors. Get your team involved. Watch the video again. Agreed. And for me, if, if you don't take anything else away from this discussion, the one thing that I would want to leave with, with you is understand Understand what it is that your business is truly offering and make sure that you are establishing the most effective way of providing that. Sometimes we think we're offering products and services. Yes, we are. But it's deeper than that. We're actually offering a feeling. Uh, what I would recommend as a whole piece of homework have a look at Maslow's hierarchy of need. Maslow's hierarchy of need. Type it in Google. Don't ask me how to spell it. And there's, it's a pyramid. And it talks about the different needs that human beings have. And understand what need your product or service is catering for. And then ask yourself the question, how do I best in these times provide or address that need? We're a hair company. We sell hair extensions. We sell hair care products. We're not just selling hair. We are selling a feeling. We sell confidence. We sell self-esteem. Yeah. We sell... Reliability. Reliability. We sell... Assurance. We sell... Strong relationships. Yeah. And once you understand what it is that you're offering, you can understand, well, okay, well, this isn't a time where I can use my traditional uh, channels to, to give this to a customer. What channels are available to me so that that customer still gets that self-esteem, still gets that reassurance, still gets that confidence from me and is still willing to pay? So that's it from me. Thank you. So that's another episode from on expensive lessons. Um, thank you for those who sent in less questions beforehand. Once again, please do send in your questions, anything about this video, about the previous video, or just anything business related in general. Once again, we will never pretend to know the answer. If we don't, Abby knows most of them anyway. But it's just interesting to, to learn, to grow, especially in this time. This is a very important time for businesses. If you have a business idea, do not bury it. Thank you. See you guys next week. Take care. Take care.